Francis Mercer runs a fight club. In one corner, the parasite Trichomonas vaginalis, which causes a widespread sexually transmitted infection that many people have never heard of. In the other corner are neutrophils, the immune system cells best equipped to take down the aggressor. Watching the two battle it out, Mercer, an immunoparasitologist at California State Polytechnic University in Pomona, has learned a lot about the parasite. And she's shown exactly how neutrophils managed to take down T. vaginalis, using a maneuver that scientists didn't even know the immune cells possessed. Immunoparasitologist. I'm still impressed with that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to break it up. You'd be like an immunoparasitologist. <laughs> That was the voice of today's interview guest, Amber Dance, reading the intro to her article called A Tricky Parasite, published in an April edition of Science News. Amber is a Los Angeles science writer and, like our first two show guests, a co-founder of the SoCal Science Writing Group. This is your host, Jesse Hendricks, and welcome to the Science Podcast. For each episode, I interview a SoCal Science Writing member on one of their latest articles so we can bring you a cool bit of well-researched science along with some SciComm writing discussion. Today's episode discusses Amber's article about Trichomonas vaginalis, the parasite responsible for an estimated, get this, 156 million worldwide cases of the STI trichomoniasis. Welcome, Amber, to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. That number's probably an underestimate because it's not a reportable disease to government bodies, and many people may have it and not know it. We all have parasites in our vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> Just to give our listeners a heads up, uh, we will be talking about STIs and vaginas and other sensitive subjects. It might be an uncomfortable subject for some. However, I encourage you to listen on. Uh, just know we are unabashed and not afraid to talk about sex organs. So Amber, the first question I like to ask people on the podcast uh, is how did you come upon writing this article? So one of my goals for last year was to do more reporting that involved actually leaving my home office and getting out into the world of Southern California. So I was just trolling around on the UCLA site looking for scientists doing cool things. And I came across Patricia Johnson who studies this just wicked cool parasite. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody refer to a parasite as wicked cool. Although it is it is pretty neat looking. If um, I'll try to link it in our show notes, but uh, the front of the article has this really cool picture, um, I guess under like a scanning electron microscope. It looks uh, like an SEM to me. Yeah, it's, it's pretty big. And, and actually, funny enough, this parasite, it sort of elicits uh, some labial similarities in its... Um, Anatomy? I don't know if you'd call it anatomy. That honestly had not occurred to me. <laughs> but um, it does have this little sort of ruffle running down the side of it. So for our listeners who haven't had a chance to read your article yet, uh, can you let everybody know um, kind of a synopsis of what it's about? Sure. This is basically about the battle that goes on between the parasite and the immune system and how they try to thwart and beat each other. So you have the parasite coming in and wanting to move in, make a nice cozy <laughs> home, um, and eat the cells lining the vagina and the cervix. And you have the immune cells that are coming in and trying to fight back, in fact, by nibbling on the parasite. And then you actually have other players that are getting in on the fray. So there are other microbes that live in our vaginas some of which are beneficial and protect against parasitic invasions. And then there are microbes that can actually live inside the parasite that may help it be good at making us sick. 
This is a very complex fight scene. It is. Happening. <laughs> it starts out simple with, you know, one player in each corner, but there's there's a lot of things that can be living in there. There's allies. There's mm-hmm. betrayals. <laughs> there's exactly. All of this. Um, so we mentioned uh, female sex organs. Does trichomoniasis affect men as well? It definitely does. Despite being called trichomonas vaginalis, it can affect many men. Men are less likely to have the symptoms, like the itching and the burning that women have, and men seem to clear the infection on their own a bit easier. But it definitely does infect both, and um, it can actually cause some concerning issues in men. There have been hints, although unconfirmed, that it could be um, related to causing prostate cancer Mm. um, and also that it could interfere with sperm and fertility. So it's not just a women's issue. So then uh, if, if, if a man has it, would we deign to call it Battle of the Bulge? I also read in the article that uh, in, in women, it can be linked to maybe cervical cancer, and they're not sure about the, all the links that are happening, but it seems like everything's sort of interconnected down there. Right. Well, the biggest concern that, that most of the scientists studying it have is that it seems to raise risk of getting and quite likely giving the HIV virus hmm. to someone. Um, what it does is it kind of tears things up down there and so then you have damage and then you have inflammation because the immune cells are coming into battle that damage and that can cause issues for fertility for pregnancy can make it easier for other invaders like HIV to get in and make a home Um, and yeah the cervical cancer link the latest science seems to suggest that HPV is the big player in cervical cancer okay so trichomonas is very much a, a bit player but if you already had HPV, then trichomonas might help the cancer spread. Yeah. So let's get on to the, the good news of how our immune system helps fight this stuff off. Because obviously, we've got a lot going on in our bodies. We have a lot of bacteria we were talking about at lunch. We have good bacteria, bad bacteria, uh, not really good parasites, but bad parasites enter. But we do have this whole immuno response that, that helps fight off all these things that are happening in our bodies. And this parasite is very interesting because... Let me see if I can read it straight from the article. It says, there's, there's a quote that says, unlike with many other microbes, the immune system seems to be lousy at remembering how to fight T. vaginalis. The invader may even manipulate the immune response to block that memory. That seems like a really unique thing that because usually our bodies are able to fight something off and then if it comes back, our bodies are like, nope, we've been there. Like, we got this. We have our antibodies built up and everything. So what's going on here? Well, I think the key word in that sense was may. It's fairly speculative, but the thing is people can get trichomoniasis again and again and again, whereas like you said, with most infectious diseases, you get it once, your immune system goes, okay, I'm going to remember this thing and, you know, beat it off next time now as to why people can get trichomonas again you know it could be that they never fully cleared it the first time but it could also be as as this one scientist speculated um daniele desi from italy suggested that maybe it's somehow blocking that memory or interfering with the immune response somehow yeah later in the article you say something about um uh, you talked about the research and it eating the B cells. So you have like T cells and B cells. And the B cells are the immune response that helps you create that memory. So maybe it's connected. Right. And it can actually attack 
the immune cells themselves, the ones that are involved in memory. And so that could theoretically, again, you know, speculatively be a mechanism by which it shuts down the memory and leaves the immune system a little more helpless than we'd like it to be. Playing dirty. dirty. (laughs) (laughs) There's no rules in this war. So what what attracted you in particular to this research? It was a couple of things that that, um, intrigued me. One is that, um, although yes, we said men get it, but it is... It has long been considered a disease of women and therefore perhaps less interesting, Mm. less important to understand and go after. So the field has, you know, has not received a ton of attention, not a lot of funding. Yeah, 156 million worldwide cases, and that's a potential underestimate, seems like a lot to not be researched as well. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there is one drug that it works for most people, and it's pretty cheap, um, which means drug companies don't want to try and come up with something else because theirs mm. would be more expensive. Um, so that was one element. But also, as I said, it's a wicked cool parasite. I mean, parasites are very interesting. I've been intrigued by them since a class I took as an undergrad. Um, what they are is, so you have, we all know about bacteria and viruses. These are not either of those. These are what's called eukaryotic cells, which have, they're, they're like us. They've got a nucleus holding their DNA. They've got a bunch of membranes organizing different parts of the cell. And they're very, not to anthropomorphize, but they're very clever about this back and forth between the host and the invader. And what's particularly cool about this one is scientists think that when eukaryotes first evolved, when we first got a hold of the nucleus and so on, these were one of the first to branch off of that evolutionary tree Mm. and kind of go their own way. And so they have all these unique and interesting features that are, are different. So, for example, one of the organelles, the little mini organs surrounded by membranes that eukaryotes have is a mitochondrion. In your, in your high school biology class, it was called the powerhouse of the cell. Right. <laughs> Trichomonads don't have a mitochondrion. They have something else called a hydrogenosome. Huh. Um, in part because, if you think about it, they live in a pretty airless environment. Right, okay. Mitochondria use oxygen okay. to make energy. Um, they don't have that option, so they have a different chemical process they use. Um, they have this super massive genome that's full of all these complicated repeats and genes that jump around and no one fully understands why that is. So they've actually received a lot of attention from evolutionary biologists. This is beyond the scope of my article, but you know, they, there's been a lot of interest in studying them from an evolutionary perspective. And you know, anything that's the same between us and trichomonids must have been really deeply at the root of eukaryote evolution. What it sounds like is those chemolithoautotrophs that use uh, chemicals to synthesize food, like at the bottom of the oceans um, in hydrothermal vents. They're one of my favorite little creatures. They're, I think the full name is like um, hypothermophilic chemolithoautotrophs. And they're really interesting because they're one of the only creatures that don't photosynthesize and everything else gets its food from the sun and from light. But these things evolve differently because they didn't have access to that. So it sounds like with these parasites evolving without a mitochondria, it was it's a very similar thing. They didn't have oxygen or they didn't have the need for that. So they came up with some other way to uh, work. Well, it's hard to say, of course, because they didn't have vaginas when they first evolved. They must have moved into that particular environment later. Right. So there's been a lot of interest in the fact that there are alternatives to mitochondria and which came first and... How did we end up with one? And they ended up with something a little bit different. 
Yeah. Well, let's talk about the nibbling. Yes. So um, as we mentioned, the parasite can, can kill some immune cells, but the immune system has its own tricks. So in her fight club, what Francis Mercer was doing was sort of pitting the parasite against different kinds of immune cells. And the one that was very effective at killing the parasite is called the neutrophils. And these are kind right. of the first responders of the immune system. And what she wanted to understand was, well, how does it kill? And neutrophils were known to kill in three different ways. They can either swallow the whole thing, or they can spit poisons at it that pop holes in its membrane and make it die. <laughs> or they can actually vomit their own DNA over their target, which like ensnares it in this nucleic acid net and kills it that way. So she looked at those three mechanisms and she thought, well, it can't eat the whole thing because this parasite is bigger than a neutrophil and the parasite is swimming. So how's it going to chase it down and gobble it up? So then she did tests to see if it was doing the spitting poisons at it. And no, that didn't work. And she did tests to see if it was spewing its own DNA over it. And no, that wasn't it. So she went kind of went back to this idea of it swallowing it and thought, you know, how can this possibly work? But what she noticed and what she eventually showed is it's not swallowing the whole thing. It's nibbling it. It's, it's something scientists call trogocytosis. And the neutrophils in the diagram you were talking about, they will basically surround the parasite and take little bites. And after, you know, five or ten bites, it dies. It's basically nibbled to death. And nobody knew until this um, and one other study that came out recently that neutrophils could even do this kind of nibbling. That's so cool to me. That's just, I, I, I know we talk about not like anthropomorphizing, you know, different things, but like neutrophils seem really cool, like that they can, they end clever, that they're like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. And right, they can kind of tune their attack to whatever they're going after. You know, if it's a small bacterium, maybe they just eat the whole thing. But if it's too big, well, then they have another weapon up their sleeve. It was one of, definitely one of the things that drew me to the yeah. topic. It's like um, when I went to sushi the other night and I had a really big piece and I was like, I can't put the whole thing in my mouth, but I can just <laughs> nibble it slowly and eventually I will eat it all <laughs> and it will no longer be. <laughs> Getting on to um, talking about uh, the writing portion, because I do like to, uh, for our audience, discuss your writing techniques and say what I really like about the article. And you really evoked some really great imagery. And with this one in particular, you said, a kamikaze neutrophil vomits its own DNA onto a parasite, entangling and killing its prey in the strands. Um, kamikaze neutrophil. I love that. <laughs> I really like that. Yeah, I think that came up just in one of the interviews where I was talking to Francie about about her work and she was saying it vomits you know it, it does this with its DNA and I said well okay that's sort of a kamikaze attack right because it's not going to make it um and she said yeah in fact most of the things neutrophils do are fairly suicidal for the neutrophil but there's always more neutrophils to come on and yeah clean things up it's a group effort yeah I really like that um also the whole fight club analogy I think is really smart because that's what this article is about it's about this versus that but then also it just sort of evolves into this big battle which is right it's like the audience is jumping on to the ring <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> trying to help one side or the other exactly and you also <laughs> there's a line that you said you first you talked about why the vagina is a good choice for this parasite um obviously it doesn't need oxygen like we talked about and one of the reasons was um, that men provide a convenient shuttle service 
to the next vagina. And I thought that was kind of a lot of fun. Um, and I immediately imagine like this little miniature like chipper gentleman in a hat just operating like a little penis trolley and he's just pulling a lever opening the door the little parasites come in he's like next stop ding ding he like rings a bell so I, I appreciated the shuttle service yeah a lot of that came out of my interview with Jane Carlton in New York who basically said you know this is a great strategy for a microbe you live in a place that it's warm it's moist there's good nutrition around. If you happen to be able to eat blood, which some trichomonas can, uh, you get like a buffet every month. And it is a fairly common strategy for, for an STI, um, you know, to basically take advantage of the male, which doesn't have quite as cozy an environment, but it's a good way to move around. Yeah. <laughs> can I say, you know, one more thing about Absolutely. the writing? Yeah, so, you know, I was just... This is one of those stories that I was just in love with. I spent my Christmas vacation reading papers about Trichomonas vaginalis. Um, so my first draft was basically, look at all the cool stuff about this parasite. Um, and I have a wonderful editor at Science News, Corey Vanchiri, who said, this story doesn't seem to know what it's about. And I said, that is entirely fair. Uh, and so we kind of had to decide to focus it in on just the immune cells versus Trichomonas and sadly leave out some of the other cool things. I want to say something about the normalization of talking about this kind of thing, because obviously you and I are very comfortable. If you've listened this far and maybe you feel a little bit squeamish about the thought of parasites in your vagina eating your cells, you're not alone. I mean, I read this article and I thought, like nobody, nobody wants that, but I think it's really important to talk about it. And it's really important to realize that our bodies are going through very normal responses and, and kind of incredible responses. Just taking a moment to appreciate how amazing our immune systems are. The fact that we have these kamikaze neutrophils that nibble on these parasites for us. And, and I would just say to people who feel a little squeamish, like rest assured, our bodies are working in cool ways, and there are scientists that are researching this for us, so we don't have to necessarily think about this stuff as much. <laughs> and perhaps someday not go through it as much. Yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the things that was intriguing to me about this parasite is I'd never heard of it. Most of the friends I've told about this story say they'd never heard of it. Obviously, plenty of people have had it, so they have heard of it. Yeah. Um, but this is, you know, if you look at STI rates in the US, the latest CDC data, um, the first is HPV, the next is herpes, and trichomonas vaginalis is number three. Wow. So it's ahead of syphilis, it's ahead of gonorrhea, it's ahead of a lot of things that we've all heard of that are in our consciousness. Um, so this thing is out there and just kind of not getting talked about. For a long time, they just called it a nuisance infection. Like, eh, it makes women a bit itchy, who cares? The women who are itchy, I'm sure care. I, yeah. One would think. <laughs> Those are, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like there has been, you know, there's always been debates in sort of the public consciousness. Do we talk about um, sexual topics? Do, what, at what point in school do we talk about this? It's become a little bit of a religious thing that some, some people don't want to talk about it. You know, I respect where they're coming from. At the same time, I do think it's, it's very important for this to be a normalized conversation. Sex is a part of life. It's a part of reproducing. It's a part of society. And these infections uh, are a part of that sex, what I'm trying to get at. I really appreciate you writing this article and keeping it normalized and talking about the really interesting things about it. So thank you for that. Sure. I mean, the way I see it, you know, we have kidneys, we have lungs, we have vaginas. They're all 
organs. And I was certainly thrilled that Science News let me dig into just how fascinating this parasite is in their pages. Yeah, did you did you hit any um, road bumps along the way in that um, in tackling a subject that could be perceived as you know fairly sensitive since you are talking about sex organs? They didn't really get too bothered by that. Um, we we played it pretty straight. Um, there was a on the final edits there was a little bit of concern about certain parts that were too gross. <laughs> sure. Um, and we made a few minor tweaks about you know perhaps not saying that the parasite is just feasting on your vaginal cells. Um, but that, that really of, wasn't an issue Yeah. overall. I was going to say, maybe that's, that's the balance of like a, a creative writer too. A creative writer writing about science is evoking great imagery, but then how, how, how much imagery do you want to elicit when you're talking about you know, feasting on vaginas. Like, feasting is a great word. Yeah, um, I thought so. Yeah, <laughs> but I understand. I understand why that comes from, yeah. too. I also have a tendency to be fairly blunt and say, you know, yeah, this thing eats the cells. And, <laughs> yeah. and so, you know, it's probably good to have an editor who says, maybe we don't want to say it precisely that Just like way. That, yeah. It's like, when you put it I that I mean, someone way. might be eating while they read the magazine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on uh, the podcast, episode three, and for helping co-found the SoCal Science Writing Group, because as I told Kate and Linda, uh, without you guys, uh, I wouldn't be here, and I wouldn't be able to do this great podcast, and we wouldn't be learning all this fun stuff. Well, thank you. Um, thanks for being a part of the group and contributing this cool podcast. And can I say, if you guys don't already know, Jesse got into the MIT Science Writing ah! Program, and we'll be going next fall yay I, I did i'm really excited about that um yes i will i will continue producing this podcast for as long as i can and maybe passing it off to some other socal science writing members as well um check us out socalsciencewriting.com we have our annual symposium coming up very soon all that information's on the website this podcast is produced by myself and uh, the music is composed by zach heidi our logo was done by jamie fritz and you can find uh, me at Jesse Science. And we are also on Twitter at Science Podcast. And Amber, is there a way to find you on social media? Yeah, it's at Amber L. Dance. All right, folks. Well, till next time, thank you so much for listening. We hope you liked this episode. Please write us a review and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.